0: But God has a plan for each one of our lives, and that plan involves change. That plan involves, as we were singing in that song, being dug, (laughs) being pressed. Grape uh, winemaking is a brutal process. It's a little sweet and lovey-dovey, you know. The grapes are thrown into a vat and then they are crushed, jumped on, and then the juice is put into vats and then it's tipped upside down, and the sediment's taken off, and then it's tipped upside down again, and this—it's—it's it's just a, a violent process. And there's actually a a passage, I'll get into Romans in a minute, there's actually a passage in uh, the Old Testament where God says to his people, you're like wine that's not been tipped. And your flavor has gone all yucky and strong. And so I'm I'm going to appoint people to tip you out, tip you up. I'm going to tip your life over because you need to have change. No change, no life. Have you noticed that if life stays the same it gets boring and loses its edge? So our life becomes a frantic chase for meaning. So we go to this thing and that thing and. We go here, there, and we rush here and there. We try and fill our lives with stuff to give our lives meaning, and yet meaning only comes when we change, when we grow, when we become all that God wants us to be. And the book of Romans is all about life change. It's all about God taking us where we are at, coming into our lives, and then bringing about a process of change. How well we submit to that will depend how great the Christian life is. (laughs) How well we submit to that will depend whether we become the person God wants us to become. So early on, as I said, in my Christian life, I 100% decided that I would submit to that process of life change if there was an older call I was on it if there was a if there was a meeting I was at it we used to drive 6 hours to go to a meeting because we knew god was there and we just wanted to be where he was we, we know god is everywhere but we knew things were happening there life change how much do we want God to have his way in us? that's the question that Paul is asking us in Romans. That's the question he's asking each one of us. How much do you really want God's best for your life? Let's turn to Romans chapter 8 verse 17. By the way, I saw something really great last Sunday night. Have you Don't come on Sunday nights, you miss some stuff. And I might embarrass someone this morning, but I hope I don't, because what I saw was beautiful. I saw two girls up the front while we were worshipping doing the mole reactions. And it was beautiful. Jakeem, it was beautiful. Because you know what that is? It's the heart expressing itself. God's not a European. You better believe it. God meets you where you are. If you're Indian, God's Indian. I'm not saying he takes on a different... Saying it's just he meets you where you are. If you're Maori, God is Maori, he, he wants you to respond to him as a Maori, not as a European. If you're African, God responds to you as an African. If you speak a different language, what language does he speak to you in? Come on. Yours. God speaks your language. And it thrills his heart when we respond to him out of our heart. Uh, I've always had a dream of a church filled with different nationalities just expressing their worship from the heart, their own way. Africans dancing in one corner, Maori's doing a haka in another corner. Why not? Why does it have to be all nice and sensitized and sanitized? Why can't we just have a let rip time of who we are? Anyway, that's not what we're talking about this morning. But I had to say that, Jakima, I loved it. It was awesome. Tell Merle, two of them up there. It was beautiful. Romans eight, seventeen to 27. I'm going to read this all through. we we'll start at verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're to God's children. Now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present, present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits an eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Do you know birds sing in minor key? Hmm. I wonder what will happen when this happens. They'll suddenly change. Oh, I reckon. Not only so, but we ourselves, are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. As I said, Paul is taking us on a journey, a journey from where we start to where he wants us to be it starts with brokenness it starts with a with a with a with a world that has fallen with a world that is broken exhibiting all sorts of behaviors that are just brokenness expressing itself none of those behaviors can be can be put into a into a continuum from bad to not so bad they are all just an expression of brokenness we have a habit of picking out a few and picking on them and saying oh that's really bad you know there's no such thing as bad and really bad it's just all broken And we all started life broken. And God came to us in our brokenness. He came to this world in our brokenness. And he said, I want to fix you. You can't fix yourself. I want to help you. And he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a Roman cross so that our brokenness could be taken into himself and we could be healed and set free. That's the story of Romans. And now we come up to chapter 8, where we have the introduction of the Holy Spirit. See, what happens when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. Why? Because his aim is to change us from the inside out. Not to change us by, by modifying our behavior, but to change us from the inside. He said to his people in Ezekiel, I'm going to take your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to change you on the inside, and as you change on the inside, those things on the outside are also going to change. You can't fix yourself, God said. I will fix you as you surrender to my process. So in Romans chapter 8, we have the working of the Holy Spirit explained. And today I want us to look at another aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Yes, he's working on the inside. He's changing that heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and we all know what that's like. We all know that when we come to Christ, our heart is sort of hard. There's a, there's, there's a real brokenness within us, but he, but he takes us where we are, and he begins to work on us. Little by little, things begin to change on the inside. As Annette said before, we become a little bit more loving, a little bit more caring, We see things a little bit more differently. That's the work of the Holy Spirit within us. We start to get a bit nicer, I hope. As I've said to you before, I'm not the man that my wife met when I was 22 and she was 21. I'm a different person now. I have changed. Still, my personality, I'm essentially the same, but I've got better. I've got nicer to know. There's, there's parts of me that, are, that, that have been changed, not because I have changed me, but God has changed me from the inside. There have been things that have started to happen because I've wanted to change, because he's been working within me. And In verse 17, Paul begins to introduce something that he hasn't introduced up till now. And I think as Pentecostal Christians, it's a, it's a subject that we aren't too familiar with, we're very familiar with it, but our theology doesn't allow for it. And In verse 17, we read this, now if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, and if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in in his glory. In verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He introduces the theme of suffering. And we tend to think, as Pentecostal Christians, you know, when I become a Christian, all that stuff's going to be over. You know, all of my problems are going to be solved. I won't have another problem again. You believe that, you're in trouble. Because Paul says here, We share in the sufferings of Christ. Now, I know God heals. So do you. We've seen God do miracles in our midst. We've seen people raised up. We've seen people healed. We've seen people healed of cancer. We've seen miracles financially. We've seen miracles within relationships. We've seen God do amazing things, all of us, but sometimes he doesn't. Have you sorted that out yet? It's, it's the problem we have. You know, We believe God heals, but sometimes people die. Everyone's going to die eventually. We know God provides, but sometimes we struggle. We know God is here as our friend, but sometimes we feel lonely. We know God fixes things, but sometimes they don't get fixed. Discovered that yet? There's storms in life that God speaks the word and they go still. And then there's other storms that you just got to row like blazers and they just keep on going. They just blow, and they just blow, and God eventually gets you across, but it's hard work. Hmm? Ever struck any of those yet? If you haven't, you will. So he says, if indeed we share in Christ's sufferings. What does he mean by that? What were Christ's sufferings? What did Jesus have to put up with? <coughs> Jesus was rejected. If Jesus was rejected, what does that say? So will you be. Felt rejected lately? You're in good company. Jesus was disappointed. Have you felt disappointed lately? Jesus was disappointed. People disappointed him. Circumstances disappointed him. Jesus was betrayed. They gossiped about Jesus. People gossiped about you? You're in good company. (laughs) Jesus had opposition. Have you been opposed? You're in good company. People have bad attitudes about Jesus. They have bad attitudes about you. You got a friend. They lied about him. They didn't respond when he spoke. I know what that's like. Actually, I, I, I laughed. I've told a few of you this already. I laughed the other day. I was, um, I was reading that bit about Jesus where he. He looked at his disciples one day and said, how long do I have to put up with you? This is Jesus. This is, this is G- gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He looked at his disciples and he said, how long? Now, I wonder how he said it. I'm sure it wasn't, oh, how long? Do I have to put up with you? I'm sure he didn't sing it. I'm sure he looked at and said, for goodness sake, how long do I have to put up with you lot? Hmm? And I, I thought, you know, There's one thing I can say I've done better than Jesus or more than Jesus. He said that after three years. I've been doing it for 35. (laughs) And there are times when you think, how long do I have to put up with this? Don't we all? There are situations in our lives where, oh, God, surely. Physical pain and torment, Jesus experienced it. Unfair treatment. On the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why? Did God answer him? Has he answered your Wise? Probably not. Because there's no answer to why, it just is. Hatred, unkindness, you, you could, the list could go on and on. Jesus experienced it all. So did Paul. Keep your finger in Romans 8. I want us to go over to 2 Corinthians. It's just a little way over. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. And Paul says this. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. This is the Apostle Paul victorious, powerful, strong one, outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we read that very, very quickly. He says something that really sounds to us like a lie. But it's not. It's a perspective thing. He says, our light and momentary troubles. Now, let's think about that little phrase for a minute. Light and momentary troubles. Now, think about Paul's life. He was whipped five times, 39 lashes. If they got the counting wrong, probably a few more. He was beaten with rods several times. Stoned, left for dead. Anyone had any of that stuff yet? He was hated. He was talked about. People preached against him. He said, I go about, there are times when I have nothing to eat. There's times when my clothing isn't sufficient. Basically, sometimes my life's hell. But here he says, they're light, momentary troubles. This isn't not getting a car park when you prayed for it. This isn't not getting the thing you asked for when you asked for it. This is agony. And He said, on top of it, I've got a put up with all the churches as well, as if, you know, that's worse. Light momentary troubles. Now, before we look at how Paul could cope with that and at the work of the Holy Spirit in that, why does such suffering happen? Why do we have light momentary troubles when we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Why? The answer is simple. We're living in a broken world. We're living in a world where brokenness is all around us. That's why there's still millions starving. It's not because God's a meanie. It's the fact that people are broken. There's plenty of food on this planet to feed everybody. It's just some people hog the lot. People are broken and they respond in broken ways and out of their brokenness, they hurt other people. We are broken still in so many ways and out of that brokenness, we hurt people too, don't we? Not meaning to, but we do. See, we are still in the hands of broken people. We still live on a broken planet. Hurt people hurt people. You've heard that said before. And living on a broken planet involves suffering. It always will. Oh, these things shouldn't happen. Well, if we transported ourselves into Pakistan right now, and we were Christian, you'd know all about what suffering really is all about. Or take yourself into Iraq or Iran and be a Christian there. And then you find out how light and momentary the things we go through really are. Because they get crucified on the walls of their churches and... That's just the easy bit. How could Paul call those things light and momentary when they hurt so badly? The answer is in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 4. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. So the answer was what, on what Paul was looking at. Now go back to Romans now. What was Paul looking at? What were the unseen things that he was looking at that kept him going when the seen things were difficult? Now, this is the key. The key in Paul's life was what he was looking at, what he was focusing on. There were things he focused on so that in comparison... The things he was experiencing now were light and momentary because he he was caught up with something far bigger. And the same is with us. If we could get caught up with something far bigger, the light and the momentary would not bother us so much. Our problem is we get caught up with the now. We get caught up with the scene. And as we're caught up with the scene, the scene begins to overwhelm us. But if we can lift our eyes from the scene to the unseen, and we'll explain what that is in a minute, if we can lift our eyes from the scene to the unseen, suddenly we get a new perspective in life, and the things that we are feeling now become light and momentary in comparison. What was Paul looking at? Romans eight seventeen. He says, now if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul began to see something in the future. He began to see what God was actually really doing in us. It's not about getting us into heaven. It's not about getting our lives now just a little bit better. It's not about even changing us right now. It's more than that. There's so much more people. There's more. He says there's glory ahead of us. And as I I focus on that glory, as I focus on what you are actually doing, as I focus on the plan, I begin to see that everything that I'm going through is getting me towards the plan. And then in verses 18 onwards, he begins to explain what he's talking about. He says the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. There's going to be a revealing of something in and through the church that this world has not yet seen. The sons and daughters of God are you and me. It's the church. And God is raising up a people who are going to so demonstrate His glory and His goodness that the creation is going to burst out in song. Seriously, this isn't, just, this isn't just pie in the sky stuff. This is what Paul saw. And Paul was, Paul was so caught up with this that it, it didn't really matter what he went through. It didn't matter how many times they beat him. You can beat me all you like, but you can't take that away. You can't take away where I'm going. You can't take away what God is going to do in me. One day you're going to see it and you're going to wish you didn't beat me. We're going to share in Christ's glory, people. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in you and I. When is that going to be? I don't really care. The fact is, it's going to be. And Paul says, lift up your eyes and see. There's so much more than what we have now. There's so much more. He says even creation is living in expectation of what we're going to become. It's crying out. It's it's crying out in agony saying, oh, when are they going to be revealed? When are they going to get it, God? And in some strange way that I don't understand, creation's liberation is linked to our coming into freedom and wholeness when the church gets it creation will be set free I want you to know heaven is not streets of gold and you plucking a harp I I have bad news for you it's not you floating around on clouds with wings on your back I couldn't think of anything more boring if that's all heaven is I don't want to go there I'm not being rude about it. I'm just saying, we got the wrong impression. I think heaven's a healed creation. I think heaven is the sons and the daughters of the living God finally entering into all that they were meant to be and creation bursting forth in song and the trees clapping their hands. People, the best is yet to come. We are a key part of the redemption story. You say, Jesus was the redemption story. Jesus, yes, He is the redemption story, but now we are the rest of the redemption story. He, can't, but he, he redeems us, and now we, our job is to redeem the world in which we live. What we are now is nothing to what's going to be. If you think church is good now, and I tell you, it's nothing to what God is going to do. God has a plan. And that plan involves you and it involves I. And as we begin to focus on that plan, as we begin to focus on the glory, the other stuff becomes just light and momentary. Art oh, doesn't matter. It's short. This life, what, 70? Oh, I hope it's more than 70 because I'm almost there. It's... 80, 90 years long, then it's over. But it's not all. It's, it's nothing. This life is nothing compared to what God is going to do. And if all of our attention is on this life, how miserable we, we become. If all of our attention is on what I'm feeling now, how miserable we become. I need to lift my eyes. Oh, God, I see. I see something better. I see what you're doing. I see this as part of a plan. I see that, okay, this might be hard right now, but it's part of the plan. I can, I can move through it because it's, I'm going to go through because on the other side there's glory. You know, what we are in now is just the introduction to the story. It's not the real story. but I think how we play out the introduction alters the end. You listen to Jesus' parables, parable of the talents, all of those. How we get involved in the introduction affects our place in the story. That's another sermon for another day. Verse twenty-three. Paul says this: Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It says, we have the first fruits of the Spirit living within us. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. People, he's there to get you through. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's there to get you through. Not only is he there, he's praying for you. It says it there in, the, in, in that passage. He's interceding for you. In those things that you are experiencing, he's interceding for you. What's he praying? He's praying, oh God, show them the glory. God, let, lift up their eyes, let them see. Let them hold on long enough so they can see that that there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's not just a little light, it's bright, it's glorious. He's praying for you. See, John said in 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. There's nothing that can come against us that the Holy Spirit is not big enough to sort. Will he take it all away instantly? No, he won't. Because there's a journey involved here, people, a journey to glory. But what he will do is he will walk with us hand in hand. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, they, 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 the king said, you bow down, to, bow down to my image. And they said, king, we're not going to bow down. He said, well, if you don't bow down, you'll burn. They said, well, you can throw us in the fire. Our God's bigger than your fire. Your fire is pathetic to our God. But I'll tell you what, king, even if we burn, we're still not going to bow down because our God's greater. So they had it sorted, you know. How God can do this. He's bigger. But even if he doesn't, we got something else in mind. We are serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we see glory. You burn us now. You're just taking us there quicker, King. (laughs) You're just making the job quick. We don't have to go through another 40 years. We can just be there. Go for it. Turn on the flame. So the Holy Spirit within you is not only helping you, he's praying for you. He's saying, oh, God, you're seeing what Rahul's going through right now. Give him strength, God. God, equip him. Lord, use this situation to build something into his life. He's praying for you. You think nobody's praying for you? The Holy Spirit's praying for you all the time. He wants the best. You know, if you're struggling today, and we all do, the Holy Spirit's praying for you right now. He's praying for you and what you're going through. He knows it already. He's praying for you. He's interceding and saying, Oh God, give them strength. He's calling out to God on your behalf. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you need. And He knows what your limitations are. And He's continually praying for you that you will get through. And I'll tell you what, if you've got that. Force praying for you, you can't fail. Right, a mum who prayed for me. This is bigger than mum. This is God Himself, continually interceding on your behalf. We've got a helper. We've got a friend. We have one who not only works within us to change us from the inside out, but he continually prays to us, for us, on our behalf. Continually. You see, God has a plan. It's not about now. It's a plan that's taking us to glory. It's glorious. It's great. Paul talks, calls it the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. It's a sort of like opening a present. This is how God sees it. He's, he's got us all in the package. And he says, one day, when I'm finished with what's in the package, I'm going to open the package, and this world is going to see, finally, what I've been building here. And all the time we say, oh, God, you're not doing anything. Oh, God, it's, it's, it's terrible. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm working. I, I'm, I'm fitting you. I'm, I'm, I'm forming you. Just wait till the paper comes off. You see, God wants you to make it. Did you know that? God wants you to make it. He doesn't want you to fail. God didn't save you to fail you. He wants you to make it. He wants us to reach our potential. He believes in you. Or he wouldn't bother with you. Lift up your eyes and see, Paul says. See the glory. Oh, yeah, I know that not a lot of glory right here, but lift up your eyes and see what God sees. Paul says, I dwell on what is unseen because that's what motivates me. God is with you. He's for you. He's working on your behalf. Do you believe that? The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The closer I get to the end, the more I can see what God's actually doing here. He's working on the children of God for the day when he reveals them and creation is finally set free. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. You know, I, I want to be part of that where the birds finally change their tune and don't wake me up at five in the morning. I want to be part of that where, 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 where creation finally becomes what it was meant to be. And it becomes what it's meant to be because we exist. I want to be part of what God is going to do. And the Holy Spirit wants me to be part of that too. That's why he's within me. That's why he's working in me day after day after day. That's why he's praying for me. That's why he doesn't take away some of the stuff you're going through because some of that stuff you're going through is taking you to that glory quicker. I've got an old adage. You've got something you're going through? Pray. Take authority over it in Jesus' name. If it doesn't go away, then walk through it. Because if you can't pray it away, then you walk through it. Either way, you'll come out better. Hmm? God's story is amazing. He takes something that's broken, a world that's smashed to smithereens, totally unrepairable, irreparable, unfixable, and he comes. As the Lord Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, he lives on this planet for 30 years, showing us how it can be done. He hangs on a Roman cross, takes all of our brokenness into himself and sets us free, if we would so choose it. The amazing thing about God is he doesn't force that on any of us. It's our choice. You can reject it today. You can reject it tomorrow. You can reject it all of your life. It's your choice. But it's there. Freedom. Life wholeness, glory. As I fix my eyes on the unseen, the seen comes into perspective. Every day you walk with Christ is another day closer to glory. How's that for a good thought? Huh? Every day you walk with Christ is a day closer to to glory. But we're like kids. Oh, when's it going to happen? Mum promises you an ice cream. Can I have an ice cream? Yes, you can have an ice cream. I want it now. Every minute you live's closer to the ice cream. Father, I just pray this morning that you would open up our eyes to see what is unseen. Holy Spirit, that you would continue that work within us, making us, crushing at times, pressing, bringing out the beauty, bringing out the wholeness, bringing out the glory. Open our eyes, oh God, to see what you see in us and in front of us. In Jesus' name. You know, God has given me a, a ministry of fixing broken things. <laughs> I just got another job the other day to fix something that's broken. And as soon as I got given the job, it's there's a, the, there's a, a, a department in our movement that's just sort of not working at all, and I've been asked to look after it. And as soon as I got given the job, oh, I could see, I began to see what it could be. You know, I began to write stuff down. I've got pages already and I've only had the job two days. Because what is that? God's showing me the glory. He's showing me what he can do. This is what it can be. And you know what? You need that about your own life. You need God to begin to say, oh, this is what you can be. Yeah, it's tough right now, but this is what you can be. If you'll just respond enough and hang in there and keep going. And God, good. Oh, totally good. I love being a Christian. I love serving God. I love this life, even though at times I hate it. I love what God is doing. I love what he's doing in you. Emma, it's only just started. It's only just started. Yeah, God has God has taken you so far, but you I tell you, if, if God could show you what his plan is for your life, it would blow your mind. Only just started. Think it's good now? Oh, it's nothing can what he can do. Father, as we go from this place, may we go with that eternal hope ringing in our hearts, the glory of the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. Lord, may we begin to see that. May we begin to long for it. May we begin to live for it. Lord, may we begin to focus on what you are doing and not what is not happening. In Jesus' name, amen.